Hi, I'm Carrie Hickenlooper with Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. episode, The Characteristics of God, Part 2. I did it! I chiseled out a little bit of time to meet back with you again. School is almost out, my little one is still taking a nap, and so I thought I would seize the opportunity and come and speak to you today so that we can finish up the last three characteristics of God. Now remember, we're referring to lectures on faith. And remember, Lectures on Faith says that if we have these three things in line, then our faith can become productive and fruitful. And it's what we all want. And those three things are that we know that God actually exists and that we have a correct idea of his character, perfections, and attributes. And third, we have an actual knowledge that the course of life that we're currently on and that we're pursuing is according to his will. And if we have those three things lined up, then we'll be able to use our power of faith in order to be able to do great things. In the last episode, we discussed how God is the creator and the upholder of all things. We discussed how he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in goodness. And third, how he changes not. The fourth characteristic to begin today is that he is a God of truth and he cannot lie. We live in a world today where it is becoming increasingly unpopular to believe that there are eternal truths. Rather, the world seems to prefer to see truth as subjective. The idea is if we stop accepting that there are eternal truths, then we can be more accepting of others and that's being less discriminatory and it's being tolerant. But what isn't acknowledged is the widening sense of confusion and instability one experiences when the acceptance of truth erodes. As a consequence, we begin to have our inner compass be able to not sense right from wrong as it starts to adapt to changing standards. We become caught up in this game of pleasing man over God as we try to keep up on our cultural think in order to avoid scorn. I just ask you to be aware of those who portray life to be a free-for-all and a loosey-goosey set of standards of right and wrong. In Lecture 4, it warns us that if God did not govern under the attribute of truth, then confusion and doubt would rise within us, and our confidence in our ability or even the need to make righteous decisions would decrease. But because God is a God of truth, we can boldly follow Him. Because we can rely on His Word. Because all of His teachings, His instructions, and promised blessings will indeed become a reality along with all of his cursings, denunciations, and judgments upon the wicked. Because we know that God cannot lie, our minds can be made certain that deliverance will come and salvation will be obtained. 
Even if Laman and Lemuel truly believed that the people of Jerusalem were righteous, was there any pause when they heard of prophets testifying otherwise? And what about the proclamations of their own father? Did that stir anything within their hearts? If they truly believed God to be a God of truth, why did they tolerate the dishonesty that existed in their society? It can be difficult to have moral courage and to stand for God's truth, especially in a world that increasingly demonizes those who do. And as a culture of Latter-day Saints, I think we have done a really thorough job at learning the do's and the don'ts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if I can just make one suggestion, my suggestion is that we focus on the promised blessings of following and doing those do's and don'ts, because that is what will fortify us in God's truth. So I even challenge you, commit to memory the blessings that are promised when you are obedient to his word. Study the word and emphasize his promised blessings. Look for them. Pray to obtain them. Trust that you will receive them and consider what will bring you the most joy in this life, the fullness of his blessings or a lesser version of them. And then take him at his word because he expects you to. My favorite thing to do with the youth is to have them pull out their strength of youth pamphlets and to go over each of those standards, but not talking about the do's and the don'ts because they already know those things but to have them take a highlighter and to only highlight the promised blessings that obedience to each of these standards will bring. And some of them are very unique blessings. And I haven't met a youth yet who says, you know, I, I'm kind of willing to do without that blessing. No, they want that. And when we know the blessings, then it is easier to stand with God, the God of truth. And doing so will enable us to be able to see the grace that the Lord continually blesses us with as we stand for truth and righteousness. The next attribute is that he is not a respecter of persons. So is it proof that God loves someone more than me because their house is bigger or their car is newer or their body size is slimmer? Or am I more cherished because of where I live? Or does my skin color or my gender or my talents and natural tendencies elevate me over other children of God? These are the measurement scales of a fallen world. And there appears to be an increase lately in the attempts to categorize God's children into lots of different little boxes. Male, female, black, white. Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, legal or illegal, the working mom versus the stay-at-home mom. Are you upper class or lower class or middle class? The elite versus the ordinary, thin or fat, athletic or are you sedentary? Are you a helicopter mom, an umbrella mom, or a free-range parent? Whole foods versus low-fat foods versus vegan versus vegetarian? Or are you a connoisseur of the American diet? And there appears to be a sense of worthiness or a lack thereof based on which one of these categories I fall into. Interestingly, each of these categories has been in vogue at one time or another in the history of the world. 
Oh, and the passion linked to each group vocalizing and demeaning the other group in order to prove their importance and validity. There is only one category in the eyes of God, and that is his children. God is not a respecter of persons. He blesses all of his children who follow after him. And to each of his children, he will provide the perfect lessons to help them grow and become like him. To each of his children, he will expose them to the necessary experiences that mortality has to offer. And no matter where we live in the world, no matter what language we speak, the color of our skin, or the size of our bank accounts, he will give us every opportunity to choose good over evil and to develop our divine potential. He is upholding all of us as we move through the plan of salvation. I once attended a temple sealing in which the sealer referred to this world as the quote-unquote make-believe world and that the plan and ways of Father are actually reality. So we must be careful to not elevate ourselves based on make-believe judgment scales. Beware of the altered reality that pride and enmity toward our fellow men and towards God creates. It creates an unhealthy competition with others as a result of feeling superior because of whatever quote-unquote privilege we believe we have and can prevent us from fully relying on our Savior. Our faith can become stunted as we become mesmerized with our own strength and our talents and our perceived greatness. You know, who needs a Savior when you've got it all figured out, right? However, let's visit the opposite end of the spectrum, because living with limited beliefs about ourselves cause us to shrink in the shadows of those we perceive to be more capable. And not only do we deny the greatness within us, but we lack the vision of possibilities that await us. Unnecessary pain resides in the hearts of God's children who believe they are not as worthy of God's love when compared to others. And this, too, is make-believe. Beware of the altered reality that your trials are more strenuous than others, that your sacrifices are heavier, that your talents aren't as glorious, or that your brilliance is dimmed compared to the accomplishment of someone else. In Lectures on Faith number 3, it explains that if we believe that God played the game of favorites, we would find ourselves not knowing what our privileges were. And these false beliefs can lead us to imagine that there are limits on the blessings or the inspiration that God will pour upon us personally. We would then doubt our standing with God and find it difficult to feel worthy to even exercise faith in Him. We wouldn't feel worthy to ask things of Him. When we accept that God is not a respecter of persons, we can come to believe Him that our worth is infinite. We can begin to feel that we are acceptable to Him Not because we do everything right, but because we continually choose Him. For whatever reason, Laman and Lemuel doubted or did not know the privilege that was theirs. They didn't know that it was their privilege to speak and receive answers from deity. Whether it was a concern of worthiness or simply inexperience, we don't know. 
But Laman and Lemuel failed to turn to the Lord and inquire of him. They believed, the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. That one limiting belief held back Laman's progression into one day becoming the spiritual leader of his family. That one limiting belief stunted them from being edified amidst their trials. Laman and Lemuel were so worried about their younger brother having dominion over them that they forgot that nothing would have been withheld from them if they had worked in righteousness. Remember the examples of Laman and Lemuel who showed us to believe that the Lord is limited, limits us. And finally, our last characteristic of God. God is love. Everything that God is and everything he does is because God is love. God is love because he created us. His plan, this earth, our souls, and our bodies were all given to us because of his love for his creations. God is love because he is the upholder. He didn't just create us to exist, but he created us to progress through his power and his glory. He gives light to our flimsy efforts. His love powers us. God is love because of the frailties of man are not found in him. His love soars and has no bounds as he extends mercy, especially when we fall short. When his grace empowers us to act beyond our natural abilities, when his attribute of being slow to anger gives us space to error, repent, and then try again. And when his abundant goodness fills us with hope that we are good enough for him, that is love. God is love because he doesn't change on us. His reliability has stood the test of time, for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can you say that about yourself? I sure can't, but we can count on God to guide us back to him with no confusion, no doubt, just clarity produced by his love. God is love because he cannot lie. He is truth. If he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that is because he is and he means it. God is love because he won't turn anyone away who loves him. There is room for all. There is equality in God's love. There is no rejection, but second, third, fourth, and a lifetime of chances to growth in his perfect love. He isn't a respecter of persons, and there are no favorites among his children. His love enables all his children who receive him to receive all that he hath. God is love, and love is more powerful than fear. In Lecture 3, it says it is only the power of love that could give him power to have dominion over the minds of men. It is what pulls us towards him. It is his love that compels us to reject the natural man in us and to choose him. Our love is what grows when we accept all of who God is and work at seeing him manifest his characteristics and attributes in our daily lives. What assurances did Laman and Lemuel miss out on by not knowing the dealings of their God? What might we be forfeiting right now as we either harbor 
even a speck of hardness in our hearts, or just purely lack the sight and knowledge of who God is. So many of the ailments and the controversies of our society could be put to rest if the children of God thoroughly got to know their Heavenly Father and their Savior, Jesus Christ. And I challenge you, with enlightened eyes and a heart focused on Jesus Christ, to look at all of society's ailments and recognize what knowledge is lacking. Are we worried that God's plan might not work out, so we better search for another more exciting plan because we lack the faith that He is the Supreme Creator? And he might know a thing or two about our souls, our bodies, our earth, our needs, our abilities, our vulnerabilities. Are we relying on superficial power sources to give us strength and to fill our emptiness because we lack faith that he is the upholder of all things? Do we see an increase of anger and hate and sorrow because we don't rely on the God of mercy? Or do we exercise even extreme harshness with one another or even with ourselves because of mistakes and unmet expectations and we just don't know what to do with that? The Lord can show you. Do we place more importance on our institutions, on man-made laws and restrictions and multi-step processes to protect us and uphold us? while shutting out the God of grace whose power it is that enables us to do more than we are capable of doing? Are we quick to blame, to shout, to speak revenge for being wronged? Do we shy away from the God who is slow to anger and abundant in goodness because we have been so hurt by struggling humans that we can't even imagine that God is above human frailties? Do we expect his ways to change and be updated to appease our circumstances therefore alleviating our need to sacrifice and quieting that conflict that arises within us when we choose to align our will with God's? Are we experiencing confusion because our inner compass that tells us right and wrong has been skewed either by our deceits or the deceits of others who manipulate truth for their own benefit? How would fortifying our faith in God and the God of truth help anchor us when others are blowing about or help our discernment to not follow after wolves in sheep clothing. What would change if we stepped off the measurement scales of the world and found our identity in being a child of God? What benefit would bless our home and our neighborhoods if we relaxed into the love of God and trusted him that we all have value in his eyes, that he is presenting to us perfect opportunities to discover our divine and eternal potential because we have faith that his work and his glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Our burdens would truly be made light wouldn't they? Sister Scriptorians, now that you know, you have a work to do. Begin fortifying your weak areas of faith. Learn, liken, and lift others with the knowledge of God's majesty. God is good.